0: Once over the Mexican border, they pick up speed, and Yogi starts jinking. He whips the stick, the steering mechanism between his legs from side to side, and the plane rolls this way and that, letting him and Possum spot anybody making for their tail. From there, they sit. It's not their silver rocket that's rocking. It's the entire vast blue dome of the sea and sky. There's no ups, there's no downs, no rights, no lefts, just a barely perceptible line separating one blue from the other. And that line is spinning and racing like bad in the distance yogi still in his junior high school when he realized that flying straight and level might be okay for some people but if you like yanking and banking the feeling of riding inside the storm in a bottle souvenirs then there's only one place for you and that's the cockpit of a fighter plane
1: i swear to god yanking and banking is a youth
0: <laughs> okay everybody welcome to Cranker commentaries i am jake uh, I am joined by my friend Keaton, yep. as always, yep. and joining us today is uh, my brother Peter, our special guest. Call Sign Cabbage. Call Sign Cabbage. If you haven't gathered by now, the movie we're talking about is Top Fucking Gun. Woo! Woo! I got the need.
2: <laughs> the need for speed. When was
1: is the last time? When did you watch the film? I've watched the film three times this week.
2: I think the last time I saw it was what two days ago? Yeah, two days two or three days ago? ago it yeah. happened happened to be on the uh, so it's fresh TV. It's fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. Oh, you it's guys saw it on,
1: on TV. That's when you that's when fresh you... Like on TV. The, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Fresh like a wound. What yeah, channel?
0: Yeah. I can't remember. It, remember. it was the
2: TCM channel. No, it no, was, it was the, not. It was, on TCM. it was the demo channel. It's not important. It yeah.
0: it would not be on TCM. It's, it's a it's
2: a it's a classic movie. I don't know if it's one of Turner's classic movies, but it's a classic movie. Yeah,
0: it's it's a little early yeah. for TCM
2: yeah sorry really really quick question off the top guys so you you read this quote from what is the top guns article that i think the film was based on yep uh the first line it says yogi starts jinking what is jinking
1: i couldn't tell you do you know keaton no, it's like jerking it's like he's going you know back and forth
2: it's it's on him on a pick you can you can hear in it exactly what it is. he's
1: whipping the stick yeah. i'm i'm looking this up uh to make
0: a quick evasive turn uh-huh. oh that's very fighter jetty the quote here we have is he jinked every five seconds and now brought his tank left again from a tom clancy novel i don't know which one it is
2: the, the, they're interchangeable
0: yeah just looked it up on on the, the free dictionary
1: yeah it's a it's a it's a great article it's like the whole thing is just like that that whole stylized like you're fucking like the movie it's like you're watching the movie
0: but it's an article in a magazine. So, um, Peter, uh, do you think you could summarize for us really quickly what is Top Gun about?
2: That's just, it's on the surface a very basic question, but I feel there's a lot of things swirling beneath the surface. But uh, as far as I can understand it, as best I can, it's about an ace fighter pilot. i I really hope I don't mess this up. Uh, it's about an ace fighter pilot who goes to Top Gun school, which is apparently the school for all the top pilots, and you all compete to be, what I understand is the Top Gun, which is the best instructor. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, you,
0: you compete for the Top Gun trophy. But yeah,
2: yeah, and then uh, Tom Cruise is our delightful Maverick, and he desperately wants to be the top, the Top Gun of the school because he's super competitive. But he's got all this trauma and like familial issues in his past that like is keeping him back and makes him reckless. And it's this reckless attitude that makes it difficult for him to succeed this ice man played by the immortal uh, Val Kilmer uh, that keeps him from passing Val Kilmer until, you know, the end of the movie where there is a large climax with an undefined though, you know, read between the lines defined enemy.
0: Yeah. I'd say that's a, that's a pretty good summary, but I mean, I mean, really, though, this movie transcends plot.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> Bold claim off the top. <laughs>
1: Please elaborate.
0: I mean, you know, this, the plot isn't, is not important, really, for appreciating this movie. I see. Yeah,
1: no, it's not. The plot yeah. has nothing to do with this movie at all.
2: That's actually a very good way of putting it, I think.
1: <laughs> uh, this movie is about fighter jets, period. Did you guys, when you were growing up, did you guys want to be pilots at any point? Was that a thing? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I would definitely, say so. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I had a period where I was very obsessed with aviation. Yeah, me too. Are, are Are you saying that, uh, you realize that straight flying straight and level might be okay for some people, but you like <laughs> yanking and banking?
1: Well, that's what I I thought. Like in real life, oh my god, can you imagine me in a fucking like uh in a jet? I definitely fucking Did throw you? up immediately. The, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the
2: G-forces yeah. would kill you.
1: I'd throw up on the tarmac. Yeah, the G-forces, like I would just, my skeleton would just k- crumple. You <laughs> should just jump right into it here because we've got a lot, a lot of stuff to cover. So Keaton, Keaton has
0: just spent very much time uh, researching this, uh, this. We're going to do quite
1: a deep dive. Basically my plan for you guys is I'm going to take you on a wild ride here. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about some basic facts. Who worked on the film? Who's in it? Uh, when it was made? Blah 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 blah. Um, then we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about like the producers <laughs> that's, a little bit. That's fun. That's yeah, fun. that's gonna be really fun. Let's do it. What 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 genre would you give the film?
2: What genre would I give it? Oh, definitively action thriller. No question.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's officially classified as action-adventure. That's fine. Action-adventure
2: but... is fine. There's, there's elements of the, the, the journey from place <laughs> A to place B, even though place A and place B are the same place for most of the movie.
0: Well, I mean, there's, yeah.
2: Well, there's places A, B, and C. Place B taking up the majority of the film. Yeah, then... yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, it's directed by Tony Scott, who we'll talk about in depth, so don't worry about that. Okay. Produced by uh, the legendary Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, or Bruckheimer—I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Uh, I
0: think I—I it, I think it's Bruckheimer. I've Bruckheimer. Uh, we'll I go with that. Wrong.
1: Well, I'll just say, quote unquote, written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. But
2: great name. Great name.
1: Uh, both excellent names. Jim Cash, in particular, is an excellent name.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a good
1: one. Um, the credited director of photog- photography is Jeffrey L. Kimball. But let me tell you something i've been reading article after article and like excerpt after excerpt about this film for several days his fucking name didn't come up once really like maybe i was just looking at the wrong stuff but anyway it had a a budget of 15 million dollars does that surprise you i would i would think it would be more yeah you would expect it to be more um what do you think the total gross was I want to say 200 million.
2: Worldwide box office, I'll, I'll ballpark, ballpark 150.
1: 150 million.
0: Yeah, actually 200. It was the 80s, so 200 million would be too much.
2: Yeah, okay, so I, I revised
0: mine. I'm going to do 100 million.
1: The actual total gross of Top Gun was 353.9 million dollars. Holy cow. What the wow. Fuck?
0: That's a huge amount of money today. Yeah. It was by... is that, that's, not, that's not inflation adjusted, is it?
1: Uh, I'm actually not sure. I think it might be.
2: Maybe all of us should say none of us were alive when this movie came out. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so, so maybe we're not as aware as we should be of like what a success this movie was.
1: <laughs> well, it was, it was the, it was the highest grossing movie of
2: 1986. That's because like 300, whatever million that's, that's like cultural moment
1: money. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, nowadays. That's, like. that's rounded up. You could round that up to $400 million.
0: Yeah. Around 400 million but seriously that that's that's huge
1: now we can talk now that we've been amazed by that (laughs) yeah Yeah. now that now that that we're just
2: (laughs) cooling back down after (laughs) that extremely hot fact
1: so we're all the cast now i guess we'll talk about starring tom cruise obviously obviously as lieutenant pete maverick mitchell
2: Obviously, Tom Cruise, who has made almost no bad movies. I'll say that right now and defend it later. <laughs> uh, you'll be needing to do that.
1: <laughs> you have got Val Kilmer as the Iceman. Which is a
2: very early Val Kilmer role, I yeah. understand.
1: Early Val yeah. Kilmer role. I mean, it's also an early Tom Cruise role. He's 23.
2: That's true, yeah. And he was already a rock star. Yeah.
1: You got uh, Kelly McGillis as Charlie. Wait, wait, can we back up to Tom Cruise for a second? Yeah, of course, we can back up to Tom Cruise for a second.
0: Have you, like look at his jaw in this movie he has an underbite in the movie what happened it's gone now
1: look at okay <laughs> if you look up a picture of him in top gun and a picture of him now you'll notice that not only are his teeth much smaller now he had a distinct big middle tooth <laughs> and eventually <laughs> he, he had some work done and they even that out and made his teeth a little bit smaller how can you make someone's teeth a little bit smaller? How do you grind like them down? Them. It's not that hard.
2: Yet. Well, you made them sh- you made them shorter, I guess. But like, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, let's not focus on let's not focus on my boy Tommy's. Two front teeth, or one, okay, one front go. tooth.
1: There's a mouth His front cut. tooth, No, yeah. he's got...
0: It's a that's, little off-center.
1: That's but a charming got, smile. Like, I don't uh, care what
2: you guys say. That's a that's a good-looking pair of front teeth. So, I never I mean, said it
1: was we bad. Can re- I never we said can... it was bad. Hey, young Jake's, Tom Cruise. Complaining
2: about, Jake's complaining about an underbite on what yeah. is nothing but chiseled.
0: We we can talk about Tom Cruise's underbite a bit later, but uh, we can move on.
1: Now that we're done talking about Tom Cruise's face, which was bound to take up a lot of time. Well, I mean, that's
0: that's, I assume large appeal of this film. Are we
2: done talking about Tom Cruise's
0: face?
1: (laughs) So then you got Kelly McGillis as as, uh, Charlotte Charlie Blackwood. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got Anthony Edwards as Goose. Two O's. Yeah, Goose is spelled with two O's. You got Tom Skerritt as Viper. And you know what? I'm not going to list anybody else because none of them matter at all. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You forgot my boy. James Tolkien? Uh, Stinger? Commander of the USS Enterprise in this movie? Unsung hero of this movie.
2: I have no idea who you're talking about. The guy
0: (laughs) jumping the fucking cigar and, like, screaming at... I gotta send you guys to Top
2: Gun! Oh, that guy.
1: Oh, right. Oh, you mean the hall monitor from Back to the Future? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Well, why didn't you just say so? I...
1: (laughs) So let's talk, about, let's talk about some of the players that we're going to hear a lot about when we're talking about the making of this movie, specifically the director, Tony Scott. What do you know about Tony Scott? Uh, Brother of Ridley.
2: Brother of Ridley. Actually, super. Like I'm not going to say underrated, because Tony Scott has actually put out some incredible films that have been, I think, rated extremely highly. good but... gun. Top Gun, but uh, you know people, 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 people. A lot of the time, people like underrate Tony Scott just because he has this. He he did like he specifically focused on like sort of the art form of this like the great like tight action movie that sort of was like you know around an hour forty five. You know, like usually got some kind of like lone like you know archetypal hero, and it's like you know he did stuff like a uh, Man on Fire. Denzel Washington, one of the greatest actors of our generation. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredible. Tony Scott, yeah. Like, I get that a lot of his stuff can turn people off just because it can seem so stylistically aggressive, just like with the cutting and like with the camera mm-hmm. stuff he does. And in this movie, he does like Jake was just pointing out to me this that like in the very opening sequence, he does sort of a split filter thing that actually comes off really cool, but it's like actually I guess sort of a simple cinematic trick that you get a lot of payoff for. Yeah. Tony Scott, very good director, and you know. You know, rest in peace. It was terrible. Yeah. He was
1: uh, born in 1944. Okay. He was uh, kind of the second wave of a bunch of British filmmakers to uh, come from the same commercial background. Okay. Yeah, his first Hollywood movie that he directed was uh, uh, an amazing looking film. I haven't seen it, but as soon as I found out that it existed, I uh, decided I want to see is it. it. Is this the, the David Bowie one? Yeah, it's, it's a 1983 film called The Hunger. It's starring David Bowie. Catherine Deneuve and uh, Susan Sarandon, and it's described as an erotic horror film about a love triangle between a doctor who specializes in sleep and aging research and a vampire couple. That sounds excellent. <laughs> that sounds super good. It sounds amazing. Tony Scott went to art school, right? Yeah, he went to the Royal College of Art, just like his brother. Right. Actually, him and his brother acted in each other's student films. Oh, interesting. And he also used to shoot commercials, didn't he? Well, Yeah, for... Uh, Almost ten years, he shot commercials for the um, what was it called? It's called the Ridley Scott Association.
2: Right. Yeah. Because Ridley Ridley Scott also shot commercials. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Definitely. And it, it shows because like they have this like super like tight, fast, dynamic way of cutting everything that's like super commercial. Peter's our our resident Tony Scott fanboy. Oh, you guys, you guys did know T- Tony? I love Tony Scott, man. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs>
1: So after after the obvious box office success of Top Gun, you can imagine Tony Scott was an A-list director. Everybody wanted him. Yeah. Between 1987 and 1998, he worked with Eddie Murphy, Kevin Costner, Bruce Willis, Christian Slater, Quentin Tarantino, Patricia Arquette, Gary Oldman, Sam Jackson, Denzel Washington, Robert Nero, and Will Smith. And that's just like a few of them. Yeah. Another interesting point, I think, towards the end of his life, he got really into the idea of remaking The Warriors. The 1979 Which is a fantastic
2: Warriors. idea. That movie gets, needs to get I've remade. actually not seen it. I would love to see a modern day retelling of, of The Warriors.
1: Have you heard about this? Have you heard what his plan was?
2: No, tell me more.
1: His, his plan was to do a contemporary retelling using L.A. gangs. Oh. And he claimed to have interviewed several high profile gang leaders. And this is what he had to say about that. He said, this is a quote. I've met all the heads of all the different gangs. So I've already educated myself. They all said, get listen... Out. They all said, listen, dude, if you get this on, we'll sign a treaty, and we'll all stand on the Long Beach Bridge. There'll be 150,000 members there. It'll look like the LA Marathon. Who said say. this? This That was Tony Scott. N- well, who's he quoting?
2: Uh, uh, unsighted, unsighted gang member. <laughs>
1: oh, he doesn't know. I don't know. That's That was just a, uh interview with yeah. him. He just Oh, I'm sure that. Tony
2: Scott said that. That's a shame. To- sounds like Tony Scott could have stopped LA gang war.
1: Yeah, yeah Tony... This a hot take, a hot
0: take. Tony Scott could have stopped gang violence in LA. Needless
1: to say, that movie never happened.
2: Crying shame. Let's hope someone picks up that baton. <laughs> well, I understand that he struggled with depression for quite some time
1: and alcohol abuse. Yeah, it's pretty, yes,
2: yeah, you know, pretty, pretty dark, you know. Yeah, like-
1: that's a. <laughs> All right, we'll move on then. We'll move on to some fun shit. We'll talk about Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh. Well, actually, honestly, this gets dark as well. There's no avoiding- Well, it,
0: it gets dark, but in a in like a cocaine kind of way. Oh, in the fun way.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you know? Have you heard anything about them, Peter? Do you have, are you familiar with either of those names? They ring I, Bell? I,
2: I know Bruckheimer by name. His, his, his uh, last name shows up at the end of a lot of movies. I don't know Don Simpson at all.
0: Oh, you're going to know Don Simpson by the end of this.
1: So basically uh, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer were um, maniacs well maniacs particularly Don Simpson but they were production partners that basically every movie they did together until Don Simpson's death and I believe it was 1996 so every Bruckheimer film is a Simpson film as well there's an article from 1985 I believe oh there's an article
0: Don Simpson co-produced Beverly Hills Cop and Flashdance he knows how to play the game, and the game isn't pretty. That's the quote? <laughs> what is this from? At some point, <laughs> probably <laughs> in his childhood, <laughs> John Simpson began to believe that Hollywood actually existed. Not the real-life place on the map, but the place he saw in the movies.
2: The place with fast cars. The what big year woman. is this from? Uh, this is 1985. five. Nineteen eighty. It's an Esquire fast article. Year. Fast cars, fast year. The place with fast cars.
0: Beautiful women and powerful men. That place, that Hollywood, was almost a fantasy. But that fantasy became so compelling to Simpson, who was, after all, a kid from Alaska, that at some point, he decided, I will belong to that. Don Simpson was from Alaska? Yeah, this this is just the the tip of the iceberg here, the the Alaskan iceberg. Tonight, Don Simpson has his fantasy. It is 10 o'clock. He is behind the wheel of his black Ferrari. The co-producer, he is the co-producer with his partner, Jerry Bruckheimer, one of the most successful movie, sorry, of the most successful movie of the year, Beverly Hills Cop, which has made over $220 million so far, and ranks as one of the highest grossing pictures of all
2: time. Hold on, this guy's went from Beverly Hills Cop to Top Gun?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, this
1: is (laughs) Flashdance, Beverly Hills Cop, Top Gun, all in a row.
2: Oh my
1: lord. Yeah.
2: How do you not develop a cocaine habit?
1: Tony Scott
0: actually directed Beverly Hills Cop too, as well. So the, the, these these guys went on to sort of like uh, the dream
2: team. They are the dream team. Yeah. Hang out with Tony Scott and well,
1: they went on to after after the uh, Top Gun. Tony Scott went on to make six films with them. Yeah.
2: What's the, what's the, what's the left in this article?
1: Oh, uh, okay. So I'm just, getting, just getting-
2: This is a huge article. <laughs> this
1: is like a 500 word article. You prick! Simpson is screaming into the receiver. He's half shouting, half orating at Steve Roth a producer and fellow club member. What are you doing? Simpson goes on, asks a favor and hangs up. He stares down at a piece of paper and then starts to read the list aloud. First, there's Jeff Katzenberg, he says. He used to be my assistant, and now he's head production at Disney. Next, Craig Baumgarten. He used to be an executive VP at Columbia until they found out he started a porno film. Now he's president president at Lorimar. Jeff Berg, who calls me the werewolf, and Jim Wyatt who I call Jumbo. Like this guy's just so fucking crazy. Listen he's... Char- these ri-
2: charming nicknames. I'm loving this nickname culture. These guys sound like they they almost have their own Top Gun club. This is like the Hollywood Top Gun club.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Call sign yeah.
2: Werewolf, yeah. call sign Jumbo.
1: Anyway, the rest of it is we is inconsequential. It's just more of Don Simpson being a crazy fucker.
2: Oh, David David Geffen is coming up. Oh uh, yeah, so he's part of this club apparently.
1: Oh, uh, he's apparently the smartest man there is the smart, according to Don Simpson. You heard it here first.
2: Those of you who don't know who David, uh, is.
0: yeah, he's he's a towering figure in the music industry.
2: Is he? Is he? Is he regarded as a cool guy? Is he a nice guy? Do people like David Gaffin? Uh,
1: depends who you are. I think yeah. I think it depends <laughs> who you ask. I've
0: heard yeah. Both. Some people hate him. Yeah. Some people like him.
2: Yeah. So he essentially goes on to list a whole bunch of various men who are now powerful
0: and take credit for their success. Yes.
2: Okay, yeah. So this is the kind of guy we're dealing with, Mr. Simpson.
1: We'll talk about more of his exploits uh during the kind of production stories phase, but yeah. If we just want to like talk a little bit briefly about his life after Top Gun cuz it's pretty tragic. He
0: had Oh, uh, it's really tragic. He, he had, yeah, I don't know if you saw that 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 doc I sent you, but like it it's real rough. Like uh there's uh there's this part where they're interviewing like this prostitute that used to like hang out at his like, well, the Anyway, she described some very, very strange shit.
1: Yeah, he had a severe cocaine addiction for the rest of his life. Um, people kept trying to get him to go re- to rehab. He never, would never go. Um,
0: I believe he got, he got fired from Paramount for falling asleep in his tomato soup.
1: He, they, yeah, he, I don't know if
0: it's tomato soup, it was soup.
1: I, I read that he got fired from Paramount a couple of times, but that was before Top Gun, and I couldn't really find any good right. sources of it to actually talk okay. about that in more detail
2: allegedly fell asleep allegedly, fell asleep. allegedly. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. um yeah you're gonna hear allegedly a lot in the next yeah. few minutes well not few minutes in the next i don't know 45 minutes or so instead of going to rehab he hired um he hired a doctor named Dr. Ammerman
0: tell us about Dr. Ammerman well
1: Dr. Ammerman um was hired to design a detox program for uh Don Simpson's heavy drug addiction and his uh, detox program has been described as, quote unquote, dangerously unorthodox. So you can imagine where this is going. Actually, I don't think you can imagine where this is going because in August of 1995. I mean, I
0: know where this is going, and I, it's not where I imagined.
1: In August of 1995, <laughs> Dr. Uh, Stephen Ammerman, uh, Don Simpson's detox doctor. Died in Don Simpson's pool house of an accidental overdose of cocaine, Valium, Venlafaxine. I don't even
2: I don't know, know what that what is. That is. Yeah. <laughs> venlafaxine. It's a. It's an SSRI. What's that? It's a. It's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Oh, okay. It's basically it's a, it's like an antidepressant. Okay. Anti-anxiety. And so, presumably, Don Simpson was
1: in good hands. He died in No, he died of a drug overdose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was found dead in his bathroom of heart failure. Yeah. Assumedly caused by cocaine and prescription medication.
2: a lot of deaths surrounding this film. I didn't think this, the, the, the Top Gun cast was going to be such a grim affair. Yeah. <laughs> who, dies, who else has this film killed? We're not done. Well, Goose, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well,
1: <laughs> well now we can talk about the actual some of the like stories behind the production
2: okay give us the dirt what is the, the most shocking story right off the top
1: the most shocking story
2: yeah did someone mess with the catering table what happened it did did somebody die yeah did someone else die <laughs> uh, Was
1: yes
0: was there a fighter Short, jet accident yes Short answer, oh, no, what? yes Oh. <laughs> okay, you
1: guys picked the the most fun story to start with. So here we go. Jesus. We're gonna talk about Art Scholl. Art Scholl was a famed aerial acrobatic pilot. Ooh, this is gonna end badly. Yeah. He was a three time member of the US Aerobatic team. And uh he spent like, I don't know, fifteen years or so just working in Hollywood shooting various uh airplane stunts. That sounds like a cool job. Yeah, I actually I found um the Smithsonian collection of his work, which includes, uh, 140 items with 31 hours of 16 millimeter footage, which is pretty cool. But
0: that's a lot I assume all of aerial stunts.
1: Yeah. Most like most of it. Yeah. So Art Scholl was hired in 1985 to film, uh, plate shots, just some, uh, you know, background shots and, and such like stuff like that for the film. Um, according to his wife, um, on, uh, in 1985, September 16th, um, they were having lunch, and he was going to go, um, oh, sorry, I've totally fucked this up. <laughs> okay, that please,
2: please tell me how this film has killed another person.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we, we is, can't necessarily the Top Gun pin, Gun pin Don Simpson on, we can't pin that on Top Gun necessarily. I would, I would
2: like to make the case that Top Gun killed, uh, the, the, it's, it's, it's box office blood money did not come with that
1: a price. Yeah. Top Gun killed Don Simpson.
2: Allegedly. I,
1: although
0: actually I, I did hear that uh prior to the death of uh Tony Scott he was meeting with Tom Cruise about doing a sequel to Top Gun.
1: Yeah, two days before he died. That so we
2: could end Which that off. which, lest we forget, is coming out. That is happening.
1: Anyway, back to the guy who uh died. <laughs> um So the the weather that day was clear. <laughs>
2: Sorry. jesus christ all right <laughs> tell us more about this guy who died you guys asked
1: hey you guys asked. Right, yeah, please do <laughs> hey we're getting it out of the way and then i'll tell you another don so simpson story bad, right, bad
2: so... weather off the top
1: okay so dead guy and then cocaine yeah, let's go okay well, we'll oh, let me just get through this and then i'll i'll tell you another don simpson story Alright. that's Kobe actually lives. it's also kind of dark but in a, a funnel.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. I thought this was going to be the Top Gun cast. We were going to be like taking it to the danger yeah, zone. Dude, this, T- this,
1: this is a dangerous place.
2: This is.
0: People this, die in the. zone. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I didn't think there the was an zone, actual man.
2: danger zone. Living uh, on the edge. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He was Bad flying. Uh,
1: he was at uh, Palomar Airport in Carlsbad, California, where he uh, right. outfitted his plane with some uh, camera equipment. And the camera equipment, it was the camera, I believe, was mounted inside the plane. So they were doing, okay. like, pilot shots outwards.
2: Oh, was were these one of those shots where you, he'd, like, take the plane upside down and then we were meant to assume it was Tom Cruise?
1: Basically, yeah. It was stuff okay. like that. Yeah. But, I mean, he's yeah. not flying a Tomcat. These are, like, these are not, like, the point is not to get shots of the plane. It's to get shots of, like, from the plane's right. perspective. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Um, specifically, what he was trying to do was called a flat spin, Oh, a
0: flat spin. That's how Goose dies.
1: It is how Goose dies. Um, A flat spin is when, for whatever reason, the nose and the tail of the aircraft become level, and the aircraft continues to spin as it plunges down vertically. And apparently, uh, in most aircraft, the flat spin is a no-recover situation, because you can't, like, nothing... There's no pilot input. Yeah,
0: Yeah. okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Anyway... um, Wait, he was trying to do that? Well, he had done them. This—he was a professional. Like he's done hundreds of these before, like maybe thousands. He's taught people how to do this. Um, He's an expert. Okay, all right. Because it's supposed to be unrecoverable, right? Well, in certain aircraft. I mean, I don't. I I couldn't quite figure out. Which is why he wasn't using a Tomcat, probably. Yeah, he was. Because, as
0: we know from the film, there was no way that Maverick could (laughs) have.
1: I wonder, I don't know play. if you can recover in a Tomcat. I mean,
0: I assume not, because the Navy thought so.
2: Yeah, because this movie had a lot of Navy supervision, as I
1: understand. Oh, well, Yes, it did. Yeah, it we'll certainly that. did. And, and you know what? <laughs> it's on, pretty dude, dark. Don't bury
2: the lead. What about this Navy? Oh, <laughs> come on.
1: <laughs> just finish the fucking thing about the dead guy, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay.
2: So you can hear the next dark thing about Top Gun, the movie, the movie that kills.
1: <laughs> so, uh, he, he, he performed one of these maneuvers, these flat spins, successfully, but um the the plane that was spotting him was in the shot so he was like okay hang back a couple of a couple of miles so i can do it again without you in the shot and they were like okay um so he starts to do the maneuver and about uh 3000 feet he radios uh the uh a guy named Kevin Kramer who's in the plane behind him he radios him being like uh, i've got a problem and uh, they radio him back he doesn't respond and then a few moments later He's now plummeted to 1,500 feet, and uh, still falling. And he radioed again, saying, "I've really got a problem." And that was that was it. They never found his body or the aircraft. Jeez.
2: What? They don't know where it crashed.
1: No, they did. There was a search. But so it was in the water. They, they, they found right? debris. Like they found like a bit of debris. debris and there was like an oil slick. Right. Okay. But yeah, that's R. P. That is the macabre irony that it's the same shot that killed Goose.
2: Alright, Keith, please tell me this next trivia doesn't have anyone who died. What's the next one?
1: Well, you guys, I told I promised you guys a, a Don Simpson story.
2: Okay. Oh okay, you say that like 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 this was a death one as well.
1: <laughs> no, he doesn't die.
2: Okay. Tell us what happened to Don Simpson.
1: So this is a, this is from an interview with Tony Scott. Okay. He's talking about um he's talking about a production party. You remember the graduation scene? Uh Tony- yeah towards the end of the film um after they finished wrapping this scene i think it was towards the end of production that they were shooting this they wrapped the scene and uh tony scott says they threw a party and got absolutely wasted and uh him and don simpson started trying to throw people into the pool um and eventually like some of the pilots that were hanging out they decided they were going to throw simpson into the pool um but he put up and this is in quotes, he put up an intense fight. <laughs> when the pilot. Against like
0: Navy pilots. Yeah,
1: he put up an intense fight. This, like, and keep in mind, he's like what? He's like five foot eight, five foot nine. Yeah, and he's not tall. I, I've seen. I, like, I'm
0: just going to pull up a picture of this he's guy. Just so like bat, cocaine,
2: yeah, he's just
1: like a fat, cocaine, adult.
2: Five foot eight is average height.
1: Yeah, it's my height. We're going to get to that too. It's Tom it's, Cruise's height. No,
2: it's, it's the
1: world's height. It's the world's height. <laughs> So, as you can imagine, the pilots got him in the pool.
0: I, I would throw a ton- Don Simpson into the pool
1: yeah, if you got the chance. Of course, you would. Well, apparently, after three or four minutes, they noticed that s- three or four minutes they noticed that Don Simpson was still laying at the bottom of the pool, weighed down by cowboy boots and his leather jacket, and they had to jump in to, to pull him out. Oh, jeez!
2: <laughs> I didn't realize cowboy boots were that heavy.
1: I think he was probably just wasted that's probably just the excuse well thing. yeah he
2: was clearly also on uh, cocaine and had lots cocaine of doesn't make you heavier i think i don't know <laughs> right,
1: anyways so no, uh moving on well you so you just mentioned tom cruise is pretty short
2: yeah he's a bit below average height yeah five six if i is that correct
1: i thought he's he's around five seven five eight
2: five eight's not short it's average height
1: let's let, let, let's settle this
2: that's Jake's. Jake's asking the internet <laughs> for the definitive answer. Five foot eight. Well, five foot eight. You know, rounding, rounding up. A- according so, yeah.
0: to the CelebHeights.com,
2: five eight. I not... think that's a that's that's a
0: legitimate source. For... Oh wait, wait, wait. He's regularly listed at five seven. Although back in the 1980s, he was commonly referred to as five foot eight or nine. Well,
2: people were taller back then. <laughs> yeah. Tom
0: himself. Tom himself says in 1988. I've always been pretty much the same weight, 147 pounds, at five foot nine inches.
2: Well, at the time, the planet was a bit smaller, so gravity was weaker, so people were a bit taller.
0: Right.
1: Look up how tall Kelly McGillis is.
0: Oh, did they have? Oh, did he have actually? something? Yeah, they... I have heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly McGillis is actually is actually quite tall. All right, let's find out how tall is Kelly McGillis. <laughs> Kelly McGillis, who is sadly not in Top Gun Maverick, the new Top Gun. Five foot ten. So yeah, she's a little bit taller. It, it, assuming that 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 um, that he is in fact
1: five foot eight. Allegedly, Every allegedly, he's five according, he according to him, he was according noticeably shorter in shots, and the studio it drove the studio fucking crazy. So they like enforced some ridiculous ridiculous measures to try and just make Tom Cruise look taller. Apparently, so were they in a were they in a tilted elevator when they were doing that scene? Well, maybe I, they, I I wouldn't be surprised. Apparently, she acted in her bare feet most of the time. She slouched like a shit ton. Yeah. Initially, Tony Scott had her wearing like stilettos and stuff.
0: Oh, is this is this when they said that he that Tony Scott made her look whorish and nearly fired him? exactly
1: exactly. <laughs> I think they may have fired him. Like they. they oh apparently, yeah. Apparently, it came up a couple of times where people said Tony Scott got fired and and rehired three different times, but I couldn't really find any specific evidence of those would you
2: Would days. you call Tony Scott an uncompromising director of this film? No, and that's why they hired no, him. No, you guys are saying t- Tony Scott made some... Tony
0: Scott but, compromised a fuck, and I have evidence I have, I have evidence of him saying that he did.
2: All right. Okay.
0: <laughs> Actually, according to Tony Scott, he, he wanted to make this... Uh, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but I, I believe he said something like "more balls to the wall." He wanted to make the movie. More balls to the wall? <laughs> Whoa, Tony! But it was overridden by Johnson. And he wasn't Tony, a pushover. He wasn't a pushover. No, no. But um, he, he, yeah. But obviously, like he, it was early in his career, he had to make certain. I would of love
2: scene. to see a more balls to the wall of Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about, like, the government-military backing to this movie? Absolutely. I want yeah, to talk let's about that there. now. Let's do let's, it. Yeah, let's do this that, is what yeah. I've been wanting to cut to. I have the background of, like, a Wikipedia article I read years ago, but I believe it was heavily subsidized by the military, right? It was subsidized. Like, I wouldn't several... say it was
1: subsidized, but, like, Tony Squ- Scott has a quote that says, basically, they only charged us for the fuel. Right. Like, before they had to, do- like, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson... Before they had um, anything, before they had an actor, before they had a director, they approached the Navy because obviously they knew they needed the Navy to make the movie properly, and they got they got the Navy's coordination. Right. So they the Navy directed them to uh, Navy uh, to Admiral Peter Pettigrew. No like, way! Really? That, is that actually the guy's <laughs> name? Yep. And get this, he's the real Viper. His call sign is Viper. Yeah, it's Peter wow. Viper what? Pettigrew. <laughs> That's Peter sick. That's sick. Apparently, yeah. So he 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 got signed on uh, as the technical advisor pretty quickly. So there was a lot right. of
0: advisement going on.
1: Yeah. And uh I guess you could say they were responsible for Tom Cruise signing up because Tom Cruise initially was not down. Like he did not want to make this movie at all.
0: Really? Oh wow. Uh, what well, convinced him in the end.
1: Ruckheimer called up Pettigrew and was like, You guys gotta take Tom Cruise up in a in a fighter jet.
0: Oh, I see.
1: <laughs> so they were like, yeah, okay, so they took Tom Cruise up in a Blue Angel and apparently Tom Cruise threw up everywhere. <laughs> but even then when when he landed apparently, allegedly, he he ran to the nearest telephone and called up Bruckheimer and was like, I'm doing this movie.
2: How did Bruckheimer know that that would be like enough to sell Tom Cruise on this Jerry Bruckheimer, apparently very good judge of character.
1: Yeah. Exactly, genius, really. And because, but but seriously, because this like this basically spurred the Tom Cruise we know and love today. Like he became obsessed with yeah. fighter jets. And as that. we know, he does all his own stunts. So he,
2: I hang to the side of my plane, Tom Cruise.
1: He got obsessed specifically with the Tomcat, and he actually he made them put it in his uh in his contract that he'd only do the film if he if he got to fly a Tomcat. Really? It
2: sounds like a 23-year-old, 23-year-old man's like contract <laughs> <Yeah>. to demand. <laughs> if I was 23 and I was signing a contract, to would be like, yes, I'm only going up, in there, up there in F-16.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the script was um, rewritten a bunch of times. Um, a lot of the reason, as you, as you mentioned, because the, uh, the Navy was really unhappy with a lot of the details. Specifically, right. P- Pedigree was just pissed off all the time, it seems, during production. <laughs> was playing.
2: Why why was he so pissed
1: off? Hollywood magic, basically. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So he they wanted like, to make sure that yeah. it was an accurate
0: portrayal of of yeah, he
1: wanted it to be as real and accurate as possible.
2: They were telling him there's no way you can pull out of a flat
0: <laughs> A flat spit. A flat spit, yeah. 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 Or I, I I've seen a, 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 a negative uh a negative four G dive in a MIG or something like yeah, that. I've yeah. I've seen a negative four yeah.
2: G dive in a MIG. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, like uh you know, well, cause we were uh we were inverted, you know. Yeah,
1: um apparently he was having like the navy was breathing down his neck the whole time. Like people were like calling him up and be like, What the hell is happening over there, dude? And he was like there's a quote from him. He said, uh, guys, I'm just trying to stop this thing from becoming a musical. <laughs> what?
2: Well, I Peter, mean, it kinda... Peter Pettigrew has failed in that respect. Yeah, kind of did. <laughs> can you ima- can you imagine if he didn't say that? We might have like two or three more hits.
0: Yeah, there might
2: yeah, be an but... even better soundtrack that Peter Pettigrew shot down. All of a sudden, Peter Pettigrew is the villain of this film to me. Yeah. So
1: the navy yeah, imagined, and yeah. uh, the navy made three. There's. there's...
2: There's some Kenny Loggins hit floating around there on some B-side that never got its time in the, in the summer. Oh, yeah, because Peter of, Pettigrew Because got Peter it, Pettigrew yeah, yeah. was like, this is not a jukebox, guys. <laughs> We're not having it.
0: <laughs> All right, so tell us more about Peter Pettigrew.
1: Uh, well, the, uh, the, he and the Navy, they made three very major script changes. The first being that initial encounter um, with the MiGs. That was initially written to take place just outside of Cuba. Oh, okay. Which I believe is pretty obvious why that's problematic for the Navy. Yeah. Um, And the second thing was the end sequence was initially supposed to be um, an encounter with North Korea. Oh.
2: And Peter Pettigrew was upset by that as well.
1: Well, at the time, like, um, the U.S. was trying to smooth relations with North Korea. Like, they were actively oh, I trying to... Right. Uh,
0: yeah, because I noticed it, it, it actually never says explicitly who the enemy yeah,
1: is. Yeah, and that was, that was because of the Navy. They were, like, really explicit about we don't want to step on any toes with this. Right, I see. And the other thing that they yeah. changed was...
2: An intention thoroughly undermined years later by Seth Rogen and James Franco. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> toes were stepped.
1: Yeah. I don't think the Navy was involved in that movie, yeah. though. So, well, yeah. uh... You'd be surprised.
0: We might get to that on a future podcast, but for, <laughs> um,
1: and yeah, the third major script change was that, um, initially Charlie's character was supposed to be a, uh, an enlisted, um, soldier or something. She was right. Anyway, you can't have fraternization between, uh, officers and enlisted folk.
0: Yes, naturally. Yeah. So the Navy was uh, like, what was, wasn't Charlie's character based on a real person? He you was, say yes. that like you know it. <laughs>
2: Why don't you tell us more about that, Jake?
0: Uh I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Alright. Uh oh, Jesus Chris. Yeah, uh Christine Fox was a uh a I believe but yeah, she was a civilian scientist who uh worked at
2: the real Top Gun. Yep. Which is a real place. Which is a real place. I didn't know that till today. Yes. Until we were watching the credits of this uh, of this movie. Yeah. And they're like, thanks to all the Top Gun staff. And I was like, oh, no way.
0: Yes, Top Gun <laughs> is a real place. Yeah. Uh, Wh- where, is,
2: where is it? It's in Miramar, California.
0: Yeah, it's, okay, it's cool.
1: exactly yeah. where it says it is. Right,
2: okay, movie. wow. But, um... <laughs> well, she she,
1: she eventually th- would go on to, like, be pretty integral in the Obama administration. Um What? Yeah, no, no,
0: she's, <laughs> like, she was a very important... Yeah, just,
1: yeah. Um, Okay. Like, national security documents strategy or whatever. Right. And this lady, this
2: is the real life. uh,
1: Apparently, Don Simpson met her and became, like, enamored with her. Well, I I say enamored. That's kind of my theory, is that he fell in love with her. A three-time
0: recipient of the Defense Distinguished Service Medal. Yes, she was the director of cost assessment and program evaluation in the Office of Defense, one of the most senior... Civilian positions. Cool. She became the highest-ranking woman to ever work in the Pentagon.
2: Really? Yeah. What well, fun, Christine Fox trivia, guys! <laughs> 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 not a large, not a large Wikipedia article, but a large footprint in the Pentagon. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure most of it's classified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why. You know, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you.
2: <laughs> okay. So. So, okay, so the actual Top Gun Institute is in California. Is that that's correct? It is Naval and, Air
0: Base Station Miramar. And so
2: all this stuff is true about the best of the best.
0: The Top Gun trophy is made up.
2: Okay. Oh, the, so there the is the no trophies, Top Gun trophy. The trophy
0: is made up, but the actual school is real. Okay. And allegedly, allegedly, I do not know A lot this of is sure, on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> the, the, top, the actual Top Gun will fine its students $5 <laughs> for quoting this movie that's awesome that's a, <laughs> that's a great fact <laughs> I, remember, well, I, it was, it's very I really hope that, that i couldn't yeah. find a real source on it i could not find a source on this but i i have heard this anecdotal can
2: you imagine the you would you would bl- you would blow a gasket you would like pop a blood ventricle you could like have an aneurysm trying not to say i've got the need the yeah. lead speed. <laughs> you can
0: be my wingman anytime anytime it's it's like i can't i can't
2: do it just sitting here like can you imagine if you were in the top gun school and being fined every time <laughs> oh that's an excellent i hope to god that that that's that's a true fact yeah it makes total sense i if you were an instructor at the top gun academy i'm sure it would be great for like the first year and then the next couple of years you'd be like God, we need to do something about this. this yeah, movie, like, imagine, and yeah. are...
0: Although it's only I would pay that. I would pay five bucks. That's for the that.
2: thing. Five bucks it's that's like... that's the only reason I think this might not be a true story, because five bucks is by no means a deterrent.
1: Well, no, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, people should... get their kicks. I'm sure people get their kicks and spend, you know, yeah. twenty five bucks. I would
0: easily this is definitely worth five bucks. No, easily yeah. worth
1: five bucks for sure.
2: It's the yeah, <laughs> it's the top gun equivalent of the swear jar.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder how quickly they uh Instituted that.
2: That's good, yeah. Allegedly, what year yeah. was that? <laughs> Although that possibly,
0: possibly, it's possible that they've raised it in recent. Oh
1: yeah, but with that, inflation,
2: got to adjust for inflation. yeah, yeah, Maybe in, in the eighties, yeah, you know, five
1: bucks. Yeah. So. We're we're in a recession, but it have gone down. Yeah.
0: There is some allegedly in here, right?
1: There's a few allegedlies. I've got some, some hard facts.
0: But So, so you're saying you're going to find the truth? I'm going to find the truth? We're going to find the truth because the truth is out there, people. Okay, welcome to the segment. This is called The Truth Is Out There. This is where we will find some story about a movie that may or may not be true and get to the bottom of it. In the Wikipedia article for this movie, an incident is mentioned where the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise, which is where they were filming scenes for Top Gun, was, was headed in a certain direction. And the aircraft carrier moved in such a way that made the light unfavorable for a shot while filming this movie. And Tony Scott asked them, can you turn around? This, this light is not good for my shot. And the commanding officer of the USS Enterprise said, to the effect of, Son, do you know how much money that's going to cost? That's going to cost $25,000 to the American taxpayer. And allegedly, Tony Scott took out his checkbook and wrote a $25,000 check to the commander of the USS Enterprise for them to turn around the ship they could film for five more minutes.
2: It still cost the American taxpayer twenty five thousand dollars. No, because Tony the, Scott paid it. Well, well no, you know, it sounds like the the captain of the USS Enterprise by twenty five thousand dollars. Well, I I
0: don't know who got it. All I don't right. know what happened to the check. <laughs> uh, that that's out of the scope of okay. this. Uh... <laughs> so it's, uh, so imagining Tony
2: Scott wrote uh, this check to turn to turn the and so uh, imagining that the the cost of said turning around is what because of all the fuel expenditures and like
0: yeah and whatever was going on with their mission delays.
1: Look how massive an aircraft carrier is! Like, imagine yeah, how much fuel right, yeah, it yeah. burns just like oh, yeah. turning the wheel like one degree.
2: Of course, yeah, okay, yeah, twenty five thousand <laughs> dollars. Right. So, 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 so
0: I would normally be inclined to agree with that, but I also heard a an interview with Don Simpson,
2: <laughs> famous cocaine, fiend, famous Don cocaine Simpson.
0: addict. <laughs> Where Don Simpson said that Tony Scott came to him and asked for. $150,000 that they could turn the ship around and uh, Don Simpson declined to pay $150,000 because he believed it was ludicrous.
2: You think that was one of those upsell things? Where he was like, I'll start high and then go low when he I, says that, I no. don't know. Yeah,
0: so, so Keaton, <laughs> I, b- I believe you've done some research on this. Can you tell us what's the
2: truth?
1: I can tell you what Tony Scott says the truth is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> allegedly,
2: that'll have to be good enough. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> yeah. that'll do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've got two sources on this story. One is an interview from uh, Tony Scott. One's an interview from Jerry Bruckheimer. Okay. So Jerry
0: Bruckheimer also weighs in on this.
1: Only Tony Scott mentions a dollar amount.
0: Okay. What? Well, okay. So. Yeah,
2: but but Bruckheimer well, no, no, no. Bruckheimer concurs that there was
1: a check cut. He said there was an incident Don where... Simpson
0: gave a dollar amount, which was one hundred and
1: fifty thousand dollars, but said there was no check that they didn't pay. Tony Scott says that the story, as you described it, is a hundred percent true. He said. Um... He, he got the perfect shot he wanted, and then the aircraft carrier turned just before he could actually capture it. So he got his uh, AD. to radio the ship commander to be like, "Can you change the course back?" To which the commander was just like, "No. this isn't a cruise. This is a- 25,000 dollars. This isn't a cruise <laughs> yeah. ship. I can't just turn it around." So Scott was like, "Well, right. well how much yeah. does it cost? How much does it cost to you to, to run the aircraft carrier for one minute?" And then he said, "This is a quote. He said, "He gave me a cost." So I went to my cabin and got my checkbook from my bunk, brought it back to the deck of the carrier, signed the $25,000 check, gave it to the captain, and he turned the ship around and we got the shot. And then in the in the interview he laughs for a while and then he says, then I bounced the check. That's a true story. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> wow. So, so, so then they could both be right because no money was actually paid. <laughs> How was he not fired on the spot for that?
1: I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe that was one of the, the three times. The guy's a
2: maverick. Who it, you know, <laughs> yeah. he takes—he's a loose cannon. But uh, okay, so first of all, first of all, it it takes twenty five thousand dollars to run an aircraft carrier for a minute.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel that, like because this, wow. this interview was definitely done in retrospect, and I think the wikipedia twenty-five thousand probably comes from this interview so he's probably right, in right. this in the interview he probably has made up a number off the top of his head it's probably just okay a high right. a high number like that but i reality. mean but i mean again i'm just speculating maybe it was this seems like
2: something we should have researched
1: i did we did we couldn't get <laughs> the
2: facts He didn't you didn't uh, that's not something the american uh, military release the navy releases eh
1: I mean, if uh, I had if I had classified. access to the uh, to the invoices of this film, then that would be enough. I thing.
0: think we should have filed a Freedom of Information Act. Where's
2: the transparency? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it's true.
2: So, 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 who do you believe then, Kevin Keaton, having had this dive?
1: I don't believe anyone. Really? I think they're all kind of full of shit. I think maybe he had a conversation sort of like that. I don't. I don't believe there was actually a check though. That's. I think he just. That, you don't. Know, okay. You don't
0: believe he 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 pulled out He like basically cut a check. The I bet. Same day. I bet he was but, like,
1: "Oh, I'll cut you a check right now," and the dude was like, "That's not necessary. Just get the studio to pay." Right. For it so,
0: but he doesn't mention talking to Don Simpson.
1: No, he he apparently uh, Jerry Bruckheimer got a call about it later, though. Where? Um, oh, okay. Don Simpson. Had, so they did. Or um, where... right? Because
0: because Don Simpson said, and like that 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 Tony Scott asked him for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to ship around. And he said, "No way, it's not worth it."
2: What do you think, Jake? You think this is? Well, like, I mean, John think... Simpson
0: was definitely on coke. When do You he think said the, this, the so... truth is out
2: here? Do you think? Uh... Stop the presses! <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> do, you, do you think that? Do you think that Tony Scott cut a check?
0: Yes. So what I think happened was I think that it was originally one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't think he did it on the same day. Okay. I I think he wanted I think originally he wanted to completely stop the aircraft for the whole thing like a couple of days.
1: Well, so this specific incident happened um it was like they were on a 5-day like right okay excursion yeah.
0: I I think I think he maybe maybe an hour or something. And this
1: like was that. this was this is kind of what I don't get about it though because it was like they were on a 5-day like shooting trip yeah. aboard the yeah. USS Enterprise and um this was the first morning. You know, this was like early morning. Was oh, so you're saying shot. they
0: would have known ahead of time
1: well, where it was going. Well, sure, but they missed it. But they also do have, you know, four other days. So it seems like a bit of a rash decision. I mean, maybe they had everything was accounted for. Like every minute was yeah, accounted for. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, yeah, what I
0: think happened was I think that originally Tony Scott wanted to do it for like, wanted to disrupt the course for like an hour or something. And that would have cost $150,000. And so he phoned Don Simpson. And Don Simpson was like, fuck you. That's $150,000. Not worth it. And um, and then he was like, okay. What, what if it was only five minutes? $5,000. Phone Don Simpson.
1: I think that's what happened. These are really hot takes, guys, here. I think we're on to something. I think we're on something <laughs>
2: Very this. precise interpretation yeah. <laughs> of, of uh, the fact. Um, that's a, that's then, a, that's a very precise theory based on nothing. What
1: you, <laughs> both stories can be true. What do you think, Peter?
2: Check, I, oh, check no I'm, check. I'm liable... I'm liable to say Tony Scott's a died in the truth-teller. I'm going to say that that guy, that guy definitely, went that guy and definitely cut that check, and definitely, check, definitely <laughs> knew it was going to bounce, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was like, turn this aircraft carrier around. I think that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. Yeah? Yeah. All right. T- Tony Scott, certified baller. Certified
1: baller.
0: Certified baller. You heard it here first. All right.
1: So, so Peter, you were asking earlier what kind of planes... So the um the Navy loan the production, uh, I couldn't find an exact number, unfortunately, but several F fourteen Tomcats. Several. How do you not have an exact number? I couldn't find an exact number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and instead of, like they didn't have any MIGs, so they used uh F fives and they painted them and So like,
2: are you telling me there's no MIGs in, in Top Gun? No and a MIG does not make an actual appearance in there's, the film Top Gun. No
1: MIG in, it, in the Top gun,
2: No. Oh, this is the hottest bit of trivia yet.
0: <laughs> Where would they get a fucking MIG? <laughs> this is the middle of the Cold War. I don't know. You get one. Also, like, do you think the average person even knows what a fucking MIG looks like? No one was gonna call them on it. All right, fair. Yeah, so
1: they used painted F-5s instead of MIGs.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it was uh it was Peter Pettigrew and other real top gun pilots were flying the uh flying the MiGs.
0: Oh Peter Pettigrew was flying in the movie. So what yeah. was
2: the plane that stood in for Admiral the MiG? Peter Pettigrew?
0: It was an F right? five.
2: It was an F five. Okay. Yeah.
0: In the in the in the movie, uh they say that practice for for the top gun exercises that they would be using MIG analogs. I they mentioned a plane, I can't remember what it was, but I think it was
1: the F five. That's probably what it was, yeah. Peter Pettigrew probably made them put that in there.
2: Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't and, believe this guy's name is Peter Pettigrew. I know, I, know <laughs> I, <got you. laughs> Honestly. Actually, I I feel like you guys are messing with me. No, his name <laughs> is Peter, Peter Pettigrew, gonna, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: These planes cost, like, up to $10,000 an hour to, like, run with, to, you know, to film. Like, every hour they were filming with uh, any one of these planes, they were paying, like, $10,000 per plane for fuel. Right. The and production so, was. And
2: so all these costs... Are not in the original film cost because the Navy just ate that bullet.
0: Well, no, the Navy said they paid for fuel, but sorry, sorry, Tony Scott said the but Navy. What it paid. seems
1: like is basically the Navy didn't charge them for anything besides fuel. So it seems like right. basically, other than like overhead.
0: And turning the ship around. <laughs> fuel. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that didn't cost
2: Tony Scott anything.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it bounced. Yeah. He got off allegedly. Scott-free. Allegedly.
1: God. <laughs> Whoa. yeah and actually the that we should talk about how he, how they filmed like these aircrafts because that's like yeah i
0: mean that's actually interesting because like i was thinking how do you how do you track something when it can't down
1: like i i honestly i have no idea into the insight in how the camera operators you no no clue do it like i know the fact i know who did it i know what they did but, like, I don't really understand. Who, who
0: did it? it? Was it, was it uh,
1: Jeffrey L. Kimball? His name did not come up at all.
0: <laughs> In fact... <laughs> the, the director of photography, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. This guy, however, a guy named David Noel came up a lot. Okay. And he was, um, he was an aerial director of photography. He worked on, uh, he worked on um, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And he worked on uh, The Search for Spock. And he he said it was really interesting the way Tony Scott filmed the the Mig's or not the Mig's the uh, the Tomcats because right. like usually you would do a uh, a mounted camera and that would be your only shot like a, a like
0: from the an position aerial of an the...
1: aerial mounted camera
0: so like a point of view from the Mig from sorry from the <laughs> F fourteen
1: uh, from the from the jet from the fighter jet. They'd usually yeah. use other aircraft. It wouldn't necessarily oh, have to so be an F-14, okay, right. but you'd. So, you'd, but
0: were they using something on the ground?
1: Well, it? it's essentially, what t- uh, Tony Scott would do is they they climbed to the top of a mountain uh, in Nevada, and they because the um, the Top Guns were actually kept in a base in Nevada, or not the Top Guns. Jesus Christ, I'm. Uh, yeah, slurring. sorry. Top Guns in but, California, yeah, in Miramar, California. The uh, the <laughs> airplanes were actually kept in Nevada um so they went to the top of this mountain and they would do uh like shots at the same altitude as the planes but from the ground wow which i thought was super cool yeah how much
0: fucking i'm just thinking like it would seem so hard like how much jet fuel did they waste like when the 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 jet inevitably blew past the camera and they crack it
1: like (laughs) And like you'd think like they'd use like gyroscopic mounts and stuff, but that was actually like super new technology at the time. Like it wasn't really reliable. Right.
0: what, what were we talk about, like steady cam? Yeah, basically. Like like air, yeah, like steady
1: cams yeah. fixed. Steady cam on a plane. On a plane. But it still wasn't the best. So they Tony Scott kinda used this technique a lot. And uh yeah, this guy, David Noel, who would go on to like make, you know, he he had like eight projects a year working in the aerial photography department from nineteen eighty six till now. He's been working on like ten right because I imagine
0: you do that. That defines your career, yeah. If <laughs> you shoot Top Gun. Anyway,
1: he said, "Yeah, that was the coolest thing he's like he learned from working with Tony Scott, and he apparently worked on every Tony Scott film after that."
0: Wow. So, uh, where should we get to now?
1: Well, I think we should probably talk about the music now. We've been putting that off the music for long enough. The music, you say.
2: Why does this film have notable music? Oh man, does this film have notable music!
0: Let's, let's just get to it. Excellent tone. <laughs> I know, it's so good. Oh, yeah. This this, this this fucking movie, This the soundtrack is a story in itself. And, you know, it's a story. And this story is the story of a synthesizer. A specific synthesizer. This story is the story of the Yamaha DX7. This soundtrack is... Is one of the most '80s soundtracks I think you could possibly imagine, and and much of that is due to the DX7. This soundtrack it's a it's a DX7 tour de force. We're talking peak DX7 here.
2: What's a DX7, Jake? <laughs> I'm getting to that. Okay, What's, okay. What is a DX7? The
0: DX7 is it was uh, a synthesizer from Yamaha. It was uh, really the first popular digital synthesizer, and it it. Somewhat more importantly, it's one of the earliest synthesizers that people actually use to imitate other instruments. Oh, Somewhat passively.
2: Allegedly.
1: <laughs> allegedly. No, <this> is, <laughs> allegedly. I, I, have,
0: I have evidence here. This is not alleged. This is the truth. <laughs> so, all right. So, the main score to this this film was done by uh, by noted DX seven enthusiast Harold Faltermeyer. Who? Who? Uh,
1: How can you be a noted DX7 enthusiast? What
2: does that mean? <laughs> that is, you're you're pulling from a pool of like three dudes. No,
0: <laughs> no, it's way more than three dudes. People love the DX7 in the eighties.
2: So, so the DX7 is just what a keyboard?
0: Yeah, so it's a synthesizer. It's a keyboard synthesizer. It's it's very awesome looking. It's black. It's,
2: it's <laughs> way to break okay. from tradition.
0: Wow, well, I mean, they were set in tradition in, that, in those days. So, uh, so it was noted DX7 enthusiast Harold Faltermeyer, who, who whose name you might have heard before if if you're a fan of Beverly Hills Cop.
2: I no way anyone who anyone who's a fan of Beverly Hills Cop has heard the name Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> but what you're telling me is surely what you're beating around the bush towards is that this is the man who did. Uh, Da, 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 Axel da, F. Da, this is this is Axel F. No way. So not only do we have Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, but also Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah,
0: Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> if you actually look, he is he is uh part of this 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 Rat Pack. This of, is
2: Beverly Hills this, Cop is, alumni. Is he part yes. of
0: the club? But, He's part of the club because he works with uh, he he works a lot actually with Don Simpson and Jerry Brockheimer. great guy. Uh, he didn't just do um. He didn't just do movies. He has a a long partnership going back uh, with a guy named Giorgio Moroder. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a uh, no one knows who that is. <laughs> Giorgio Moroder was like a very important um music producer in the late 1970s, early 1980s, often called the father of disco uh he why who i don't know <laughs> <laughs> who's often calling him that? <laughs> i don't know but he worked a lot with uh with like donna summer people like that and uh he's he's italian but he did a lot of his work in germany and that's how i suppose he hooked up with harold faltermeyer
2: and is german harold faltermeyer in Germany? do you think, do you think that's how he hooked up german, with yes.
1: berlin
0: as well no because <laughs> berlin is not german what? They're
2: American. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I totally I totally jumped jumped the gun on that. Go on.
2: You're talking about <laughs> okay. somebody
1: we've never heard of. Is <laughs> it
0: Georgia writer. Noted friend of Harold Faltermann.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so no, you're, you're you're not talking about someone we've never heard of. You're talking about the friend of somebody we've.
2: Heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is this is a step removed from. Uh, that's the story I heard from a friend of a friend of mine.
0: Yeah, no, no. no. Georgio Moroder <laughs> is actually he's a very big dude. He's very very big guy in in the in the electronic music world. Very big dude of electronic music pioneer. You know that song, fucking hot stuff.
2: Yeah. How's it go?
0: You know the song. I'm not going to sing hot stuff for you. Sing hot <laughs> right, stuff. Well, I don't think I know what you're talking about, <laughs> stuff. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm begging you to sing hot stuff.
0: But yeah, so uh, Donna Summer, hot stuff. Um, <laughs> Come on, do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm not> gonna... <laughs> I don't know you what song know. you're talking about. Uh, I-, I could play it, but it's not on my soundboard. I didn't prepare the soundboard. It's not, on, for the for soundboard, it's well, it's not on the okay. soundboard. It's dead
1: to us. soundboard. It's likely story. <laughs> it's not on the fucking soundboard. Allegedly. I can't play it. <laughs> not on the <laughs> soundboard.
0: <Allegedly>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So, Georgio Moroder, uh, a friend of Faltermeyer, uh, he. So, Faltermeyer was feeling like a little bit stressed out by doing all the music for Top Gun. Because you know you
2: know the the crown <laughs> weighs heavy on he who wears it,
0: yeah, so the score the score was so uh was so hard to do for Harold volsmeyer because you know he was he was he was doing stuff he was fucking with things and like you know he had to use fucking sixteen dx sevenths just to record the top Gun anthem
2: sorry what <laughs> <laughs> so so this obscure keyboard that you're in love <laughs> with is he needed 16 of these things to make this soundtrack i have a
0: quote let okay this is uh should i do should i should i act it out or should i just say it
2: are you asking me if you should do an accent
1: is he german <laughs> allegedly is, he he is, a, is this is this a german man. quote uh I think, I think it's i think it would be beneficial for everybody if if you immersed us, okay,
2: you uh, couldn't. I don't really feel like you could offend anyone because what they did was
1: unforgivable.
2: Okay, <laughs> moving on. Wow, <Well>, <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can <it> there. They're only on.
0: Okay. Shall I continue?
1: Sorry, go on.
2: I'll tone it down. I'll tone
1: no, it no, down. No, no, don't. Please don't. don't.
2: Well, if only someone had told them
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Very early on, I found that the the only beauty of a DX7 is when you have two DX7s. When the TX-816 came out, it had eight DX7s in it. And this was a heavenly answer. Because you could could slightly change the parameters on each voice. You could daisy-change them. I had two of those. The low bell sounds in Top Gun, for example. This is 16 DX7s. That's an actual stock sound. It's the tubular bell. It's just slightly detuned. We had this extremely fat
2: low C. That's how the top gun anthem starts. I feel the line you're missing is Mr. Bond. Yeah. slipped a
1: little bit towards the end. I'm not I, I, sure what it was yeah. saying, yeah. uh, right. Harold no. Faltermeyer does no. not sound was, like no.
2: this. We we get the point. Yeah. Harold Faltermeyer tried to take over the world with some keyboards. Yes. And 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 honestly looking at this the box office I think he succeeded.
0: Harold Faltermeyer that's why he stopped making movies after Beverly Hills Cop cuz he oh, yeah. owned, he was in charge of the
2: world. Yeah. You, know, you, you you play a song that's what like nine notes. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then you just start raking it in.
0: So so back back with the Top Gun anthem actually. So one interesting thing is uh so another movie that Harold Faltermeyer worked on. Fletch.
2: Oh, yes. This is excellent news. I am so immensely pleased to so, hear
0: so this. The, the top Fletch g- is
2: a movie that I, I often worry will be lost to time.
0: Well, Harold <laughs> Faltermeyer, you know, maybe if he'd done things differently, you know, maybe Fletch would have the place of Top Gun in our society.
2: So no, this took sixteen keyboards, just for the bells. Jesus.
0: Course, oh, a- allegedly,
2: this tone I cannot get over it.
0: So this 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 this, this sequence, do 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 do. This was originally, before it was in in Top Gun, Harold Faltermeyer has comp- had composed that as a dream sequence in the movie
2: Fletch. Really. Oh, this is oh, this is one of the best facts. Oh, This is one of the funnest facts we've had so far. So, so Top Gun opens with a Fletch dream sequence. Yes. Oh, this is excellent
0: because it was supposed to be heroic, and and because in this dream sequence, Fletch it was like playing basketball or something. I don't know, uh, but it, this was the theme for that.
2: That's incredible, and um. For those of you that don't know, Fletch is a <laughs> <of> film starring <story. laughs> Chevy Chase as <is> a private <laughs> investigator. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, 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 I don't. I guess some people might not understand why my awe is almost palpable.
0: Yeah, but so,
2: go watch Fletch, please. So, so oh. and then if if you have the chance, watch Fletch Lives, the sequel.
0: Yes, Harold Fosberg was making these tough decisions about whether or not to put this song in Fletch or in Top Gun. <laughs> And so
2: honestly that I could see why this guy like, was tired. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> heavy bears the yeah heavy weighs the crown. So
0: he had a decision to make about two two forks in the a fork in the road of history and and he made a choice. And, and so this theme is now in Top Gun. And um and so he was he was a little bit stressed about this whole thing so he he brought on Marauder to come come do some some pop songs for the soundtrack because you know the, Okay, who's
2: the who's Marauder?
0: Giorgio Moroder, the Italian guy. Okay. So Giorgio Moroder was like, work, like he was pounding the pavement here, he was trying to get these songs out, and he, he comes up with, with, with hits like Danger Zone, Take My Breath Away, and, uh, and he decides, okay, yeah, Danger Zone, uh, who am I going to get to, to, to do that for us? Okay, let's get,
1: uh, let's get Toto. What? <laughs> Somewhere yes. out there, there is a version of Danger Zone performed by Toto. It exists.
2: This is this is a true fact.
1: They did a version of it, and the studio didn't like it, right?
0: Yeah. Um. So well, there is a recording. I I I don't know. So um. I what I do know is that Kenny Loggins <laughs> said that Steve so, Lukather of Toto said. All right. Okay. Let's Toto let's said... touch on
2: who is Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Let's just... Okay. Noted um, 1980s vocal the, star,
0: Noted 1980s vocal star... Kenny Loggins. ...who was brought in to sing Danger Zone. So, Kenny Loggins is, 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 a, is a towering figure in the, in, in music. Uh, this is
2: one of the towering figures that is actually a towering figure. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Kenny Loggins, <laughs> to, to, like... Uh, this, is, this isn't like like a Harold our towering <laughs> synthesizer <laughs> <laughs> legend.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, so i'm sure i'm sure kenny loggins has friends that we've heard of
0: (laughs) yeah so kenny loggins uh so he started off basically doing a sort of country rock duo with this guy named jim messina that that's that's kenny loggins phase one and 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 so what we hear in top gun phase three the final phase
1: are you saying kenny loggins is dead
0: no 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 phase three is continuing Phase Three continues to this day,
1: oh, okay, we're still in phase three
2: well, so, we're always, yes. we're awaiting phase four, so,
0: so phase two is like you know his his yacht rock phase where he was hanging out with the with the doobie brothers, you know uh doing like this is it and shit like that. you've heard that song? I don't know,
2: I don't know how's it go?
1: this is it oh he did it. <laughs> no, <what>? ah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> got him <laughs> anyway um so and so then you know. It was the late 70s. Disco was becoming a thing thanks to our friend Giorgio Moroder. Legend. Legend. <laughs> Giorgio Moroder, father of disco. Uh, <laughs> producer
2: of- Oh, he's the father of disco. So they uh, say. Okay. So they say. Uh, okay. Yes, so Allegedly.
0: They and, and electronic music pioneer. Okay. Um, sorry, so... They bring in... Kenny Loggins was kind of, you know, feeling a bit down because all this disco music... Around, but Kenny Loggins, he was a rocker.
2: At was this like pre or post like the death of disco? This
0: is this 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 is this is deep in the
2: disco. Is, so okay, this is before they blew up all those records.
0: Yeah, and so then Kenny Loggins is like, okay, I'm gonna do some movies. So he does things like Shack.
2: Kenny Loggins did Caddyshack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my lord. Look, <laughs> I'm learning so much today.
0: And then, yeah. So moving on, we're past disco, but anyway, he does footloose. It's the phase three is his '80s film score, well, film song phase. So he's uh, Kenny Loggins is hanging out. He's hanging out in L.A. He's he's working on some music. He's working on a tune called "Playing with the Boys." It goes like this.
2: So, this song incredible, and I'm gonna say it right now, right off the top. This song is the best song on the soundtrack.
1: <laughs> I agree, 100. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad we've
2: got a concurrence here. It,
0: it's damn good.
2: What do you think, Jake? What do you, all right, I'm gonna ask you now. What is the best song on the soundtrack?
0: Oh, it's Danger Zone.
2: You think it's Danger Zone? I don't know. This song, I, I'm afraid we're not gonna hit the chorus on this song. But when this song hits, hits the chorus. Playing with the Oh, wait, boys. Wait, 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 we, we, up, we can do that. We can. Uh, we can get uh, that back in here. Okay, yeah. When that when well, that well, chorus well, hits, well, we'll chorus. I really think that it truly surpasses Danger Zone. Dan- like Danger Zone, perhaps I think it's got too much of this callback to like like arcade games. Like the, it makes me think of Double Dragon. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, with the but this song, this song this really hits.
0: It's the it Yeah. So so Kenny Loggins was Kenny Loggins was he was working hard on, on playing with the boys. He, and, and uh, you know meanwhile, on the other in the other part of town, or I think maybe even over, Giorgio Marauder was was fucking, you know, racking his head trying to find somebody to do danger zone. Because you know Toto wouldn't do it. Toto wouldn't do it. REO Speedwagon wouldn't do it. Who could do it?
2: So anyway, REO Speedwagon was also considered. Yeah, they were. Also <laughs> oh my yeah, god! They asked REO
1: Speedwagon, but they didn't want to yeah, do yeah. it because they wanted to do their own song. Yeah. Also, Brian
2: Adams was asked to do a song. Canadian legend Brian Adams. Yeah, Canadian
0: treasure. But he Bryan declined. Adams. He declined because he did not like the way that the movie glorified war. That's my guy. So. Basically, uh Marauder is working on the song uh Danger Zone. He doesn't have any lyrics. So he gets this guy, his friend, Tom Whitlock to write lyrics. Tom Whitlock's a really interesting guy. You've probably never heard of him and for good reason. Uh because, you know, he was one of those kind of guys who like just uh flew under the radar. Uh he's uh wanted to just make it in the music industry, so he moved to LA. And he started hanging around with a bunch of people and uh he, he was like helping Giorgio Moroder set up his home studio or whatever. And Giorgio Moroder was complaining about uh about the something going wrong with his Ferrari. And uh and Tom Whitlock was like, Okay, uh, yeah, I'll I'll I, I think you need to use this different kind of oil. Tom Whitlock comes and fixes his car. And then, you know, you they come they become friends, and Tom Whitlock's like going around buying people's groceries for People And so eventually he just what? like <laughs> hangs out with enough people that he becomes like part of the, uh, part of the Hollywood, uh, gore writing
1: group. And so he writes the lyrics. So he just went and like bought people groceries and then got a job. <laughs> and, 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 and fixed Georgio Rotor's car. And then like,
2: <laughs> you too can become a Hollywood <laughs> oh, star. Yeah, it's,
1: it's <laughs> LA, find someone with a broken down car, fix it. Boom. You got a job. A, a
0: Ferrari. A oh broken yeah. Down yeah. Ferrari. Well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why George M. Rotor didn't take it to like, I don't know, his his licensed like Ferrari mechanic, because I'm sure he could afford
1: it. <laughs> like... yeah, also I feel like you don't really want someone you don't know that well, like screwing around with yeah. your Ferrari.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't want anyone I don't know that well buying my groceries.
0: Or writing the lyrics to danger zone. <laughs> or writing the lyrics <laughs> yeah. to
2: such cultural touchstones as danger zone.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Tom Whitlock's writing these lyrics, and they're like, who's going to sing it? Who's going to sing it? Kenny fucking Loggins is going to sing it, okay? So Kenny comes in. Basically, uh, the way Whitlock describes it is like, you know, um, he he heard about it. uh, They went over, and they went over to Kenny's place, and uh, Kenny maybe moved around some stuff, but otherwise uh, didn't change too much. And then uh, basically, the next day later, Kenny comes in, nails it. Because he's a professional. And he's a fucking pro. That's right. And so there we have it. That's Danger Zone. Take My Breath Away was not supposed to be part of the soundtrack.
1: What was it supposed Originally, to be
0: Originally. Oh no, it was I mean it was written for the soundtrack, but originally they they had they had decided they would they had almost decided they were finished and this song was not part of it. Because the scene in the elevator with Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise and the and the love scene were not filmed. They had to add that because apparently test audiences didn't like fully understand the romance between
1: the two of them. I can't
2: imagine why. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't hear that. What I heard was that uh, it was the military who was like, um, not, they thought that the relationship happened too quickly and they wanted to, They, they were like, we need another like you need to add something to make it seem more to- yeah, right right that's right. an
2: that's an excellent understanding of like uh, emotional pacing from the military <laughs> yeah because <No>, <laughs> <Yeah. not laughs> they, they were like, 100% yeah. correct Marketing it's already yeah. st- <laughs> it's still horrendous it's even it's still with pretty quick the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> even with the scenes
0: they added so, but anyway so the- take my breath away uh was written uh for that
1: yeah and a funny uh, little bit of trivia about that shot um the the uh, elevator scene is Because, as you say, it was shot afterwards, like um, she had, you know, different colored hair. Tom Cruise's hair was longer. That's why they put him fresh out of the shower. Mm, That's why she's wearing a hat. Yeah, that's why she's wearing a hat. That's why they slicked his hair back because he's out of the shower. <laughs> Movie magic, people. Okay. Movie magic. Oh, so, okay,
2: you answered my question because I was gonna be like, "Why is she dressed so drastically different yes. in this?" Series? Yeah, because yeah. shot a few months yeah. later. Her okay. hair was different,
1: ah. and she had lost ninety pounds for her, or sixty pounds for no, her. Oh, so role. that's why she's
2: wearing. Oh, so the that's jacket. why she's got so many layers. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah that
0: makes <laughs> sense. So yeah, so they did "Take My Breath Away," which. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, that bass line—the sound for that—is literally a, a DX7 preset. <laughs> they did not it, change anything. So they roll this keyboard out of the factory. They roll this keyboard out of the factory, fucking Rage Giorgio to goes and, and clicks, clicks base two, base number two, which I. Uh, I believe that's patch fifteen or sixteen on a DX seven.
2: For those of you that aren't synthesizer nerds, that's a it's a basic ass move. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's base two, and 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 plays bow 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 bow, <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's it. <laughs> Not the only time in Top Gun they use a base preset. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so like I said, take my breath away. That was base one. Danger Zone is base two. That Sorry, no, no, no. Base two is base two is take my breath away. Base one is danger zone.
2: It's that, <laughs> that. That sounds like a preset. That's yeah, not that's surprising. Like, that's that's
0: that's such a that's such a like yeah. classic sounding like yeah it sounds like a lot of guys
2: in the 80s were not bothering to arrange their own notes
0: (laughs) and you know it it does not sound like a bass
1: right from what i understand that was a bit of a bit of a theme in the 80s is yeah Yeah, yeah new factory synth presets appearing in popular music a lot
0: yeah yeah so yeah lots of dx7 peak dx7 tour de force
1: <laughs> for all you DX7 uh, enthusiasts out there. For, for all, you do, all you DX7 yeah. enthusiasts
0: including Harold Faltermeyer and uh so just some interesting uh things about awards. The Top Gun anthem won the 1987 Grammy Award for instrumental performance.
2: That guitar mm-hmm. bit.
1: Yeah, that's oh, the guitar okay, bit. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah you think it deserves it. Not the only uh not the only award. Take my breath away won the Academy Award for Best Original Song and the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. Same category. Um, I don't know who won the award. I don't know if it was Giorgio Moroder or Berlin, who is... Berlin, we have barely talked about because they're not really that important. Didn't they? They're sort of just a... Well, they're a Giorgio Moroder vehicle, essentially.
2: He was in Berlin?
0: No. No, he just... He brought in... Berlin to just basically sing the song. Okay.
2: Let's
0: let's do let's do worst accent.
2: <laughs> don't point that thing at me. <laughs> okay, so this is, this Who, is Who's a, this got has got the worst accent <laughs> in this
0: movie? I, I I don't think there's many candidates.
2: Okay, worst accent in this movie, which I can't believe we haven't even talked about this. Meg Ryan is in this movie yes <laughs> <laughs> as as goose's wife and she has this horrendous like a, there's
0: literally no reason for
2: her to be doing an accent I don't know, maybe to like place her geographically and, I don't you know
1: anything. they had to give that great balls of fire a bit of a you know grounding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz goose pound on a whale like, on oh, the So are you trying are you being critical of Meg Ryan's performance in this movie?
0: Uh her accent mostly, but yeah. Other than that it's fine, but there's just I don't know if it was her choice to do the accent. I suspect just, it yeah,
2: wasn't. Odd place for Meg Ryan to just really 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 swing for the fences. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't
0: know if it was her choice. I suspect it wasn't, but you know,
2: it's 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 like it's not, it's it's she kind of came in and i think you're supposed to be like wow who is that but it was sort of like who is that with the with that accent yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell you the navy loved it
2: really oh peter Pettigrew okay.
1: specifically was super uh, impressed peter Pettigrew with meg ryan's his head again yeah he was super impeth- impressed with meg ryan's did he want the accent what is peter Pettigrew from texas no or not that I know of. He didn't have a Texas, uh, Texan accent. Okay. So, but he liked Meg Ryan's performance he,
0: specifically. Yeah, he
1: said he was very impressed by it. Specifically the scene uh, where after Goose dies where she had to like cry where, on command. Okay. And they did like 22 right. takes of it or something. And he was like, just baffled that she could just keep doing it.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Was Peter Pettigrew on the set at all times? Yeah, this
1: is... Let me tell you, the Navy really, like, they had a stranglehold on this film. Peter Pettigrew was around for everything. So, like, you got fucking Tony Scott sitting in his director's chair
0: with Bruckheimer there as well. I don't know. Uh, you would assume so. And then so. fucking Peter Pettigrew just, like, fucking looking over his shoulder, being like, how does this, how, how does this? How does this affect the Navy?
1: We can talk about the navy some more if you want. This feels like a trick. I feel like you were about <laughs> to say it's that get dark. <laughs> someone in the navy died during the. Well, yeah. I was thinking. Right, well, what is it? I was thinking more like we've talked mostly. I think we've covered basically all of the like major events during the filming. So I was thinking we should start talking just about post-production and uh, like the screening and opening and the you know the effect it had on the navy, like. The oh yeah, the thing you have to yeah, understand about right like about the, the the Navy in this movie is they they didn't they weren't helping like a movie studio make a movie. They were creating like actively a um enlistment, like propaganda film. That was their goal from the start, and they succeeded did pretty well they didn't succeeded it? like I was reading a, a I found a book that's called Operation Hollywood." And it's, like, yeah. it's the whole thing is about, like, uh, the military's involvement with Hollywood and, like, how they balance that. And Top Gun oh. is, like, the gold standard for, like, military <laughs> propaganda. Like, every film after that, like, it's funny because, like, in the book, there's the part where they talk about Top Gun, and then there's the rest of the book. And for the rest of the book, Top Gun is referenced over and over, over again as just, like, the gold standard for, like how the military can coordinate with a with a film and they uh the film premiered on may 12th 1986 um with the theatrical release was like a few days later it it opened in like a Mm -hmm. a, a roughly a thousand theaters on may 16th um right and the navy set up recruiting stations like at the really yeah at like i had heard this yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and recruiting shot up right this movie was intensely successful yeah, in terms they, they, of like propagate like in terms of getting people to join the the, the navy yeah
1: according to operation hollywood the navy saw a 500 percent increase after the release of the film Five hundred yeah yeah over what period like it doesn't say here but um, okay yeah, yeah. they uh, uh a navy major uh named david georgie said uh he was like a public affairs officer for like movies and, and uh, TV and stuff for the military. He has a quote mm-hmm. where he says, these kids come out of the movie with eyes as big as saucers and say, where do I sign up? <sighs> like They totally took advantage of that, literally enlisting and,
2: and they just sort of threw out trawling nets out in front of the, exactly. in front wow. of the theaters. Yeah.
0: Iceman killed Goose, right?
2: Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is that is the hottest take we have had yet. <laughs> Defend yourself.
0: Okay. Okay, so so in the Navy hearing they, they talk they talked about this one, uh, they said there is no way that uh Maverick, although they call him uh they call him Pete in the hearing, which I didn't know. Until my third watching of this, that he yeah. actually had a Tom name. Tom Cruise's
2: character's name is Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, it's, it's Lieutenant Peter <laughs> Mitchell. It's written on his <laughs> airplane. Lieutenant Peter
0: Mitchell. It's it's written on yeah, but like I, it, they only ever call him fucking Maverick. But anyway, um, so they say there is no way he could have anticipated the 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 uh, jet wash or uh recovered from the stall from the the spin the flat spin.
2: Uh, so, who's jet wash?
0: Are they caught in? That's right. Iceman's. You're
2: saying Iceman's jet wash killed
0: Goose? It did. No, the Navy said so. It came from Iceman's
2: aircraft. But was it not Goose's fault he was inside jet wash? No, yeah, because said there was no they, could, they said there was no
0: way they could, they said the Navy said there was no way they could have anticipated it.
2: Or recovered from it. Well, now I feel like I need to go back and rewatch this. No, scene I just, because... I was
1: just watching the scene. I do agree, it does. And and so
2: so
0: so so, Iceman pulls off, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And then he, I don't know, I don't. Yeah, no, it, it is.
1: It's it's directly like, but... the action of Iceman pulling away is directly act- leads to them going into the the flat spin.
2: Oh man, did Iceman Iceman kill Ice Goose? <laughs> kill
1: I wouldn't say oh, and Faces no consequences for it and
0: even wins the Top yeah. Gun trophy. I
1: don't think he. I, I wouldn't say he killed him. I say he's he, he's culpable he though. He's culpable. He shouldn't have won the trophy. No, he should have been kicked out of Top Gun. That was that. Yeah. That was I'm, a dangerous move. He I'm keeps surprised. talking the whole yeah. movie about how yeah. You know, so so Maverick's really dangerous. He's
0: talking about Maverick being dangerous, but Iceman is the dangerous one. Ice Maverick. Yeah, there's that whole
2: you. like tense confrontation in the locker room where yeah. he goes like, "I'm sorry, Goose died," and like Tom Cruise is all sort of like upset looking, but like. I think Tom Cruise, I think, because he's a great actor, <laughs> is internalizing that he... I think Tom Cruise also knows that Goose killed... That no, Goose, Iceman that killed That killed Goose. And I think that's... You can see that in his eyes where he's, like, thinking. He's, like, it's your fault, Iceman. It's your fault, Goose is dead. Well, you know, not to read too much into it, but...
0: Yeah, yeah so I don't know necessarily <laughs> that, you know, that, 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 that Iceman should be court-martialed, but he should definitely not have
2: won... The but perfect. someone should have said, like, hey... Like there was no way of recovering from Iceman's jet wash. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. so.
0: There's no way you could have anticipated this yeah. or recovered from the uh, repercussions of this. So would that not imply that the person whose jet wash it is is their fault?
2: Maybe not in a chargeable way, but you're right. Iceman does spend the whole movie being like, man. You're dangerous. You're dangerous, man. You're making choices that are putting your fellow pilots at risk.
0: But really, it was Iceman's pulling away abruptly Uh. that caused Goose to die.
1: Leading up to him pulling away, it was just because he was being, like, super arrogant, thinking he could get a shot. And if he just pulled away, like, a few seconds earlier, like, Maverick would have gotten a shot, and Goose wouldn't have died. Exactly. It was just Iceman's arrogance that killed Goose.
2: So so if if we have come to any truth (laughs) through this this alleged podcast (laughs) uh, Iceman killed goose. Iceman killed goose. We did it,
1: we did it. We We could throw in the towel.
2: We did it. We found a fact. (laughs) The truth is out there, people.
1: The truth is
2: Oh, oh, geez. I finally feel like we've. we've
1: Yeah, I think we've.
2: Found some kind of closure. Found yeah, some kind of closure. <laughs> for
0: the death there. of Goose. So, what do you want to do? You want to go ahead and do Six Degrees of Star Trek?
1: I think it's about time for Six Degrees of Star Trek. About time for what? For what? For what? For what? For what? For what? For what?
2: Here you go, folks. The segment nobody asked for, but they are getting anyways.
0: All right. Six degrees to Star Trek here. So six degrees to Star Trek is the segment where we find out who in whatever movie we're doing relates to Star Trek through their IMDb page.
1: <laughs> I incidentally well, found I have... that one
0: earlier on. You did actually, and that was not one that I covered. Well, there we go. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. So, so I have at least three. ways
2: Ideally, to do this. the best, the best answer is is an immediate connection. Yes. Yeah, so the best answer would be immediate so connection. For example, from, someone who worked
0: directly on. on a, so this could be any anything in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Anything could be a movie, could be a TV show. And the first thing we have is somebody who allegedly. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's not a, this movie. that's not a good place <laughs> to start with. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, Jeffrey L. Kimball.
2: Jeffrey L. Kimball shows
0: up. <laughs> our, our friend Jeffrey L. Kimball, who All shows right, up yeah. in, in none of these stories.
2: <laughs> Legend <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> of this. Legend. The
0: cinematographer Jeffrey L. Kimball also worked on Star Trek Nemesis in 2002. Really?
2: Action.
1: Yeah. Wow. I wonder I, uh, if he did any believe... work on that film. Yeah. Oh, the, <laughs> the, I wonder
0: if the, he just the, pretended like the he Tom Hardy film. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess so. Also... <laughs> the
2: Tom Hardy movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, bad movie. By the way, Star Trek Nemesis is garbage. Hot, not hot. Very cold. Star Trek. Yeah, extremely <laughs> cold take. That <laughs> that
2: take that take is dissected in in the freezer.
0: Okay, and so the second uh thing, that the second uh way of doing this is is a is a is a two step. And this is actually. Through Tom Cruise. So, but you actually you could also trace it through Jeffrey L. Kimball incidentally. Because they both worked on Mission Impossible 2.
2: Mission Impossible 2. Underrated. Underrated Mission Impossible 2.
0: Um sorry. The uh Mission Impossible 2 was written by Ronald D. Moore. Ronald and D. Moore. Bra- Ron. Brandon Braga. Ah, oh, the Brogster. Oh. The Brogster, yes. So Brandon Braga. Uh big guy in the Star Trek world. He worked on, uh, he was the executive, he was the producer, the executive producer for,
1: uh, Voyager. Maybe I'm not sure.
0: Right. And, uh, in, um, he also did a lot of stuff on next generation, but he was, he was basically the main guy behind Voyager. And, um, so he, uh, so big guy in the Star Trek world also now actually is working on the Orville, which is a great
1: show.
2: Excellent show. Best. Uh, Best Star Trek on TV.
1: What does he have anything to do with Top Gun? I missed that. I missed who's the connection.
2: Ronald, who's Ronald? Who's Ronald D. Moore?
1: No, Brandon Braga. Because
0: we're we're gonna get to Ronald D. Moore in a second. Okay, you've lost me here.
2: Okay, okay so, so 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 Mission Impossible Two, yeah. which is fil- shares a film star with Top Gun, notably Tom Cruise, okay. an excellent underrated actor, and also shares a couple of and people. and uh, member of a uh, world notable church. Uh, oh. <laughs> he, he was. He was. He made Mission Impossible 2 They're gonna 2, shut us down. You can't mention them. World Mission Impossible two <laughs> was written by Ronald D Moore and Brandon Braga. Brandon Braga, yes, who oh. are notably writers on Star Trek. Ronald yes. D Moore later went on to write a Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica critically acclaimed. Very critically acclaimed. He wrote all the all the excellent Klingon episodes in Star Trek, where you get like all this great like fleshing yeah. out of Worf and like. All did a lot of work on Deep Space Nine. Really? A lot of work on Deep Space Nine. The best Star Trek.
1: I mean, Voyager's the best just... Star Trek, but we'll talk about that another well, time. Well, I mean, Brandon Braga. Wow. That's Brandon Brandon an incredibly Braga, bad let's... take, and I'll fight you right now. Okay, okay.
2: Let's,
0: <laughs> let's calm down on the Star Trek takes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're too hot. It's, it's getting steamy in here. Yeah. <laughs> so, the mirror's fogging up so, here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, uh, so, yeah, Brandon Braga. Also worked on Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2. Starring Tom Cruise. And also allegedly had some work by Jeffrey L. Kimball. <laughs> also, allegedly, Jeffrey L.
2: Kimball, if he did exist, if he even <laughs> had, exists like, yeah.
0: uh, sorry, sorry, Jeffrey. Uh, so, but did uh, do these get more
1: convoluted exist. as we go? Is this gonna be so yes, more yeah, yeah, the third way?
2: So yeah, so we've got a third. Is this a two degrees or three degrees?
1: Uh
0: this is actually another one degree. Oh, one degree but this is not an actor who is it this is a boat
1: is it is it could it be could it could it is it could it be the us the uss enterprise
0: yes so this it's it, this this movie was shot on and contains the aircraft carrier cvn65 uss enterprise and you can you can notice that it says on top of their hats at the beginning of the movie cvn65 is the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise. There's actually been a couple different aircraft carriers called the USS Enterprise.
1: I believe there's a tear at the beginning of the film saying that they're on the Enterprise.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it I I don't know if it says Enterprise, but it is the Enterprise. It's the USS The USS Enterprise and so you might think, "Oh, it's the USS Enterprise. The ship in Star Trek is called the USS Enterprise. That's how he's connecting it." But you would be wrong. Star Trek 4 Voyage Home. Is that Star Trek 4? That Star- that's Star Trek 4. Yeah. Star Trek 4. Voyage Home. Nuclear vessels. What's the ship? CVN 65 USS Enterprise. That is where... That's the
2: same ship? It's the oh. same fucking oh, ship. Man. Oh, that's the best one degree yet. Of, of the entire history of this segment, Okay, this is the best one degree. I, I
0: hate to bring it down slightly. Because... When they were filming it, unfortunately, uh, the USS Enterprise, the actual ship, was not available to film it on. And I believe they show an exterior shot of the USS Enterprise. The actual scenes on the ship were uh, were filmed on a different uh Navy ship.
2: Okay. I, I, I'm I am i am still immensely pleased with the, the exteriors. That doesn't yeah, yeah this yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. not the undermined. actual
0: Enterprise I believe was at sea at the time. Yeah. So yeah, so not NCC one seven zero one, but CVN sixty five. That is our connection. All right, that that, that was wraps the it up. Of Star Trek? Do it? Do we want to? Do we want to wrap it up? Uh, do we want to? Uh, I I think we should just uh, just give our uh, AEA a one to ten scale. How much did we each like this movie? <laughs>
2: it's a tough question. <laughs> Closing thoughts. This movie, uh, I th- I think we've a lot of a lot of this podcast we've sort of danced around the fact that this movie's a hot mess <laughs> like it's sort of it's sort of barrels from scene to scene you might say what what it hurts and jerks or what do we say at the beginning uh it, it janks and yanks, it yanks and it, it janks yanks and, and yanks, yanks from like scene to, from scene to scene yeah, one might say yeah. this 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 it jinked all over the place It, it jinked all j- over yeah, this place this place this, this film was cut you know much like i think perhaps intentionally so like a like a wild ride as it yeah. barrels from scene to scene <laughs> and we just sort of like get spat at the end of a tense like a air duel with russians slash not russians yeah, yeah uh yeah
0: it's yeah. non-existent aircraft
2: i think i think it's a great film to just sort of drop in on random scenes but if you sort of like try to stay on board with it the whole time it sort of like starts to come apart at the seams and it's you know it's commercial Absolutely. origins and it's um perhaps propagandist uh, <laughs> errors might and become like a, a, a bit more apparent yeah 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 but uh so you know this movie i can't give it more than like a like a 6 6.5 guys mm-hmm. I'm 6. sorry 6.5 yeah yeah so i would say
0: that uh you know i actually really like the way this movie shot i think it right but uh it's a you know, great looking movie. it's a great yeah. looking movie tony scott does it great and and allegedly jeffrey l Kimball does does a good job too uh if that what, is he, your real if name if he's, if he's even a real person <laughs> <laughs> um so but yeah i would agree that i think this this movie yanks and banks a little too much it uh it definitely gives you the feeling of rhyming, riding inside one of those storm bottle souvenirs um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so it's kind of messy it just goes from scene to scene it's, of things just happen they need to get that scene in that's done and then they kind of shove in some awkward love scenes between uh tom cruise and um uh jesus what's
2: your
0: yeah. name mcgillis
2: yeah. yeah. the navy tried yeah. so hard to make this movie yeah. less gay than it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: yeah this this, yeah
2: Peter Pettigrew wanted less volleyball, more, yeah. more, uh, what's her name? Or, we, uh,
0: yeah. Kelly McGillis? We're, we're, so, we're so, we're so sorry, Kelly sorry, <laughs> Kelly sorry, Kelly. And I'm, I, I think you should be in Top Gun 2.
2: Uh, Keaton, what's your, your, your four final thoughts on this?
1: I, I agree with you, I think. I think when I first threw on the film, it was like, you know, that, uh, it starts Danger Zone and it's fucking awesome and it's Jets and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm revved up and ready to go. And then, as soon as the first encounter ends, it's just kind of like, "Oh," and then it just kind of like it, I, you just don't pay attention until the next encounter, and they they get less and less interesting from uh in the sense that you' just you're seeing the same you know action over and over again, which is cool, which is you know for the time, it was awesome, but it's just I, I don't think the actual storyline is is yeah, I quite mean, quite really, to put it strong yeah. enough.
2: Yeah, Sorry. it's it's definitely a movie that if you're going to watch it, you want to watch it with a bunch of people who you're going to talk through it with. Exactly. You're not yeah, going to... Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. just to put... put you're the not going to dim on, the lights uh, down alone and put on Top Gun.
1: Although
0: I've done that twice this week. <laughs> yeah, me too. Right. Uh, but only because of the podcast. Um, uh, To put it bluntly, eventually. I would say this movie is badly right.
1: Yeah, this is... I think this is not... To call this a movie, I think, after everything I've read about the like, the, the Navy... It's like uh, this is barely a movie. It's like it's. It's a recruitment film. It's a recruitment film that made uh, Paramount executives rich as fuck. Yeah. And that's kind of. And and well, you know. And it had you know, some it, good music. I will say the best thing to come out of this film is uh, it gave Tom Cruise an obsession with <laughs> fighter jets. <laughs> Specifically, gave, the F-14
2: Tomcats. A, a belief in himself to do his own stunts yeah. and continue throughout his film career, making you know, making doing the stunts for real and giving us those grounded, uh, you know, feel it in your gut jumps that he that he does through all the the new Mission Impossible films, which are incredible. All
0: right. So uh, uh, just is before that up we, yeah, for us? yeah, just before we wrap yeah. it up.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. You have I one. think I think it's just. A wise idea to to acknowledge our sources, our major sources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah please, uh, please you know, cite big, all these yeah, alleged yeah. sources. <laughs> my my major sources. Were... How many
2: How many ways can you say Wikipedia?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: oh, there's more.
1: My major sources were a book called Operation Hollywood by David L Robb a book called Contemporary Cinematographers on Their Art called Pauline B. Rogers, uh, a behind the scenes cassette rip called top gun behind the movies and uh there's also articles from the new york times los angeles times and the guardian as well as a few more questionable publications so you know it's 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 a it's a bit anecdotal i places. really
0: wish i had my sources here
2: yeah if you guys want to check out more check out those those quality yeah, sources
0: uh, i i i will watch some interviews with harold falchmar and George Romero. I read some interviews with Tom Whitlock from some magazines from the 80s. I can't remember what they were, Uh, et cetera.
2: And I watched Top Gun. (laughs) So
0: So, uh, that is it for uh, the Crane Kick Commentary podcast this week. Uh, Me and Keaton will return soon with Apollo 13. And I guess, uh, should I play us out now?
1: Play us out.